Hello and welcome to the Cancer Research UK Cambridge Centre podcast, the All About Radiotherapy series. This series is brought to you by the CRUK Radnet Cambridge programme in partnership with our lovely patient and public involvement and engagement group. So on today's episode, I'm joined by Hilary and Neil, who are two of our patient representatives with CRUK Radnet Cambridge. And this is to talk about some of the history of radiotherapy, along with their experiences of working in radiotherapy and then later coming back to radiotherapy as a patient. So Hilary is now retired, but was treated for breast cancer when she was still working 12 years ago. She had some surgery and then opted to join a research trial for her radiotherapy treatment. Since then, she has become involved in helping to put the patient point of view into research. Hello, uh, lovely to uh, speak to everybody. And then we have Neil, who is also retired, but continues to do some teaching about radiotherapy and some academic work. And he was unfortunately found to have prostate cancer in the spring of 2021 and despite having no symptoms and then went on to have some radiotherapy later on in that year. Since then, he's collaborated on work which has been recently published, uh, demonstrating that prostate cancer does not cause symptoms so that the absence of symptoms cannot rule it out. This contrasts with much of, not all of, the current public health messaging on this. And Neil joined our patient research group to help promote the understanding of radiotherapy amongst patients and the public, and especially to help increase confidence in this important treatment. Good morning, and uh, it's a great pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much, both of you. So to start with, could you tell us a bit about your experience, Hilary? You worked in radiotherapy physics in the 1930s. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Uh, yes. Uh, my first job when I left college all those years ago was to calculate the correct doses for patients' radiotherapy treatment and to make sure that those doses were delivered properly and to the same standards anywhere in the country. However, there were very few computers when I first started work. Everything was done by hand. Radiotherapy focuses the radiation dose on the tumour area and minimises the dose elsewhere in the body. In those days, we did this by pointing the radiation beam from several different directions so that the best dose added together where the beams intersected at the tumour. But to do this, we had transparent sheets of paper which showed the dose for each individual beam and we had to add these together to get the final result. It was very time consuming. Each beam was carefully aligned over a light box so that we could see the ones beneath and they were all added up on top on a piece of tracing paper. We got through an awful lot of tracing paper. I worked at the Royal Marsden Hospital at the time. A couple of years later, we got the first small computer in our office. This revolutionized my work. It had a flickery green screen and some knobs that we could move the radiation beams around an outline of the body. We then pressed a button and hey presto, the doses were calculated. The downside was though that the computer crashed frequently. It had a, a long row of yellow switches on the front which we had to switch up and down in a, in a particular pattern to get the computer started again. It was extremely exasperating at times. 
I can only imagine Hillary very much was extremely exasperating, especially compared to the computers we have now, which is just one button. So what were the sort of biggest challenges in radiotherapy back then? Well, we had to measure the patient's shape to do the job properly. And nowadays we have CT whole body scans and we can see the external shape and all the internal organs fairly easily. In those days, we used a measuring stand and some flexible lead soldering wire to measure the patient's shape. It really wasn't very accurate, although we thought it was at the time. We had x-rays to see internal organs such as the bladder, but lining them up with the external body shape was extremely difficult. It's definitely very, very different these days. And Neil, you've worked in radiotherapy as a clinician and led in some big radiotherapy research projects. Could you tell us a little bit about your role and what radiotherapy was like when you started? This is probably a little bit different to Hillary, maybe? Well, I suppose in a way, my experience is quite a bit different to Hillary's. But actually, if I start from what Hillary was talking about with hand planning treatments, I remember that because I had to do an exam uh, in which I produced a hand plan. So lots of tracing paper, lots of coloured pencils, It was very stressful, actually, uh, although I didn't manage to pass the exam. So I remember that process. Actually, the plans were quite good, but the plans were only two-dimensional. And the plan was prepared for a sort of salami slice through the centre of the target area only. And I suppose one of the biggest changes that I've seen during my career has been the change from that era into the modern era using really serious powerful computing. I also can reflect back to when I first became interested in radiotherapy, which was the result actually of a very charismatic oncologist when I was at medical school, uh, who in fact spawned a group of oncologists uh, who scattered into various centres. And then when I was still at medical school, my father developed prostate cancer and had to uh, undergo radiotherapy. And I remember being involved with um, uh, supporting him through that It was back in the days of the tracing paper method, which treated a big cube in the center of the patient. But he developed quite bad side effects from that. And uh, that stayed with me ever since. I moved to Cambridge in 1996 into a, a job post that was part clinical work and part research. In the clinical part, I was involved right at the beginning in developing CT planning which Hillary mentioned earlier, but I think she may have uh, some interesting perspectives on this as well. H- Hillary, what, what are your recollections of uh, the introduction of CT planning? Yeah, well, uh, I moved to Brighton and while I was there, the first whole body CT scanner arrived in our department. Quite how we got it, I don't know, but uh, EMI was the company that produced the first one and they wanted a lot of research done to make sure it was actually working properly and uh, patients were had the CT scans and they were amazing for seeing even then I mean they're much better now but even then they were amazing to see things like the bladder where it was and particularly in pelvic radiotherapy where it made such a difference early on it was uh, an interesting uh, time That's really interesting when you mentioned imaging and CT planning. So would you say looking back, this is one of the biggest changes in practice that you'd seen that have really directly impacted treatment, Neil? Actually, Rachel, I I think I find it quite difficult to say what's the biggest change in practice. But I agree that the introduction of imaging, but when I say introduction, the direct incorporation of imaging 
by transferring scans into the treatment planning computer actually is one of the biggest because it allowed us to start targeting the tumours much, much more accurately. And it allowed us also to identify where the critical normal tissues were so that we could try to get on to bearing dose to normal tissue and reducing side effects. There was also the development in the delivery of radiotherapy, which was linked, I suppose, into planning. And when I came to Cambridge uh, in 1996, around the world, there were other centres that were introducing a technique called conformal radiotherapy. And actually, as pretty much as soon as I arrived, I remember talking to the head of physics in the corridor one day, and I said to him, we really ought to be doing this. And he said, well, thank goodness you said that. I, I do too. And actually, that led to the development of uh, a treatment planning system that was written in-house by the fantastic physics department at Adambrooks. It was called Adambrooks Radiotherapy Planning System, known as ARPS for short. And it allowed us to start doing conformal therapy. And actually, Adambrooks was quite an early adopter of the, of the technology. And we started, we treated the first patient back in 1998. And the trick about conformal therapy was that it allowed us to start to treat uh, shapes of target that were like a circle or like a sphere in three dimensions rather than like a brick. Uh, and actually that spared a huge amount of normal tissue and it reduced the side effects, of course, as you'd expect. So that was really a revolution. In fact, that revolution continued uh, with uh, further developments in planning and treatment delivery. Thank you so much for explaining that so well about the differences between the two. And even more recently, I suppose we could talk about the sort of introduction from conformal radiotherapy to then more what we call image guided radiotherapy and something that we call intensity modulated radiotherapy, which is way more sophisticated than conformal and a lot more what we see these days, do you think? Yes, I, I agree with you. And it's interesting that you mentioned those two different technologies together. I think that's exactly right. And actually, one of the fascinating changes was to see machinery coming along that integrated those two things. And there's this peculiar dynamic that as you try and deliver dose more accurately in a shape of target, which is individualized to try to reduce more and more the normal tissue that gets treated, you need to do something to make sure you're treating the right place. So the integration of image guidance, which makes sure the patient is in the right place on the day of treatment, uh, compared to when it was planned, with this more sophisticated intensity modulated radiotherapy is, is actually really, really important. And IMRT uh, actually is, I think, very interesting because it requires much more sophisticated computing and really quite a lot of maths in the background to produce the calculations of dose. And it requires very powerful machines. So that when we started conformal therapy using ARPS, we had simple desktop computers but even now, uh, more than a decade on, much more than a decade, 20, 25 years on, the desktop computers aren't still uh, powerful enough to do the IMRT dose calculations. You need a bespoke computer for that. Uh, and IMRT is fascinating because it really does allow you to individualize the shape of what you treat. And it goes with machinery that can deliver that. And one of the big changes was using rotation therapy so that the machine stays on as it rotates around the patient. And actually most IMRT around the world is now delivered with ro that rotational approach. 
and it's got a big advantage because you get a sharper drop in dose away from normal tissues uh, as you use a bit of, by using the rotation therapy. So are we at the point now, Neil, where doses can be changed during the course of a patient's treatment if they're body changes and so on you know in the old days you had a treatment plan and you got it regardless of what had happened whereas now are you are you changing the treatment on the fly to help patients i think that's a really interesting question and it almost talks a little bit actually about how you and i first met hillary in terms of risk of a research project that perhaps we'll talk about a bit later i agree with you i think it's really interesting particularly since we have scans from image guidance that we might be able to use to understand changes in shape and size and so forth. And actually, we might definitely want to change the treatment plan during the course of treatment. Uh, funnily enough, though, x-rays are very tolerant of changes in the shape of the patient. And so probably you only need to do that usefully in a minority of patients. By contrast, the newer proton beam therapy um, that is being delivered in Manchester and London, uh, the two national centres, actually proton therapy is not tolerant of even, even quite small changes in the patient. And you almost certainly have to do recalculations of dose and dose plans in the majority of patients who have proton therapy. So it is an interesting area. I have to say that I'm very keen on image guidance I'd rather do more image guidance than less, and that would lead me on to doing more treatment plan review and change than less. And I would like to see that expanded, if you like, within the national context. It's really interesting. You've mentioned those two things, Neil. So in our other podcast series, A Future of Radiotherapy series, we talk to a couple of people about proton therapy and about something we call adaptive radiotherapy, which I think is how we're talking there about being able to change the plan potentially on a on a day-to-day -day basis so if the listeners want to learn a little bit more about that i'd check out those episodes as well thank you for joining us for part one of this episode about the history of radiotherapy join myself neil and hillary when we go into part two where we talk a little bit more about their experiences of radiotherapy treatment and how radiotherapy has evolved to what it is now thank you see you again <laughs>